Good evening and welcome to the 493rd episode of Travel Witch Radio. I'm your host, Dan Schlossberg, along with co-host Mariella Nugent-Lee, and we're in the 12th season of Travel Witch Radio, the show that lets you enjoy the pleasures of travel from the comfort of your armchair. Every week at this time, we talk to people representing destinations, hotels, airlines, railroads, car rental companies, and others in the world of travel and hospitality, from authors and bloggers to broadcasters and publicists. If it's got anything to do with travel, it's got everything to do with Travel Itch Radio. And tonight, we welcome Holly Williamson of the National Air and Space Museum at Smithsonian. Welcome, Holly, to Travel Itch Radio. Oh, thanks for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. Holly, I love the Air and Space Museum and have loved it ever since it opened in 1976. But I understand it's undergoing a large-scale, multi-year renovation with a big piece reopened only last October. Please bring us up to date. Well, you're right. Um, the museum in D.C. is um, a little bit more than halfway through the renovation. It's um, intended to be about a seven-year project in total. And it's essentially a complete rebuild that's touching every inch of the museum, top to bottom, inside and out. Um, we're replacing the exterior tiles, all of the operating systems. We're installing new windows that can better protect the artifacts. And we are bringing all of the galleries into the 21st century. Um, at the moment, approximately half of the building. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, okay. Um, at the moment, yeah, how much money? Who's, who's, who's paying for this? And how much money does it cost? Um, uh, more than I can remember. Um, there's a few different funding sources. <laughs> um, the actual okay. construction and operating systems that is federal, but all of the new galleries, um, those are completely funded by donors. Wow, that's and great. We have, yeah, we've got eight brand new ones um, that opened in October. Terrific. Correct me if I'm wrong, Holly, but the Air and Space Museum actually has two separate parts, the original buildings on the National Mall and the newer section near Dulles Airport, about 20 miles away. Please explain to our listeners. Yeah, so um, the, the newer section is actually almost 20 years old. It's the Stephen F. Udvar-Hazy Center and it's actually located right on Dulles Airport property. And that, the two museums together tell the story of human flight and space exploration and, and engineering feats, but they have very different ways of telling the stories. The museum downtown is a little more like your traditional museum with galleries that each one has a theme and the artifacts that are in the galleries all correspond to the theme. But the museum at Dulles is, um, one giant aircraft hangar that has almost 200 airplanes in it. And then um, if you were looking from the bird's eye view, it looks like a very small room, but it's our space hangar. And that actually has space shuttle discovery in it, plus everything from Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, the space shuttle missions, rockets, satellites, space science, telescopes, all kinds of things. Mm. Is the National and, Air and Space Museum still the most popular of the dozen or so Smithsonian's on the National Mall? And do you still need time tickets to get in? Um, it doesn't quite have the visitation it had before we started the, the project, and that's part of the reason why is we've had much of it under construction. Um, but it still is one of the most popular ones because half of it is closed and of 
it's one of the top eight uh, museums in the country. We do have the timed entry passes. Those will be around for a while, we think, um, just because we need to be able to control the capacity and it's something that we've never had to really advertise much about. People just come, so um, it is just our way to make sure that everyone has a safe and enjoyable visit. Hmm. Last I heard, admission was free, but are there separate admissions for things like your terrific planetarium and the IMAX theater? Yeah, admission is still free. Um, the Udvarhazi Center does have a $15 parking charge, and the only other things you would pay for um, are the planetarium and then the IMAX theater. The one that's in D.C. is currently closed, but the next theater that's at the Udvarhazi Center is open. Hmm. We're talking tonight with Holly Williamson of the National Air and Space Museum. Holly, with Cherry Blossom Festival coming up soon, will Air and Space have IMAX and the Planetarium up and running when the crowds come down for Cherry Blossom time and also for spring break? The Planetarium is up and running. Um, they show two films. They rotate every half hour. Um, the IMAX Theater, the mall building, is undergoing its renovation right now, so that won't be ready for probably sometime next year. But the Udvarhazi Center's IMAX Theater is open daily and showing movies all day long. I really like your Milestones of Flight Hall with such artifacts as the first plane to break the sound barrier. Tell us about that and also the exclusive mobile experience that lets visitors personalize their exploration of air and space. Well, the Milestones of Flight Hall is actually undergoing its renovation right now. Um, That should be open in 2024. Uh, We'll have a few artifacts that have moved around. Um, The Apollo 11 Command Module, Columbia, is now Mm -hmm. up in the Destination Moon Gallery. Um, And actually, right now, the Bell X-1, which is what um, Chuck Yeager flew to break the sound barrier, that's actually currently on display at the Udvarhazi Center until we're ready to move that back into the building. Hmm. Um, and we, and then, we hear the... Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, go ahead. We, we hear that the National Air and Space Museum has amateur nights that allow visitors to whip out telescopes and look at the night sky as celestial bodies come into view. How does that work? Well, I was actually just talking to our astronomy educator today about all the programming that we have. Um, We do have um, stargazing once a month at the Udvarhazi Center, and that takes place at night in the parking lot. Um, Mm -hmm. We work with the Northern Virginia Amateur Astronomers Club, and they bring all kinds of telescopes out. We had about 450 people come in January. Um, And then we we also do some, some, excuse me, daylight sun gazing through um, safe telescopes. And we do that on weekdays, um, Fridays and Saturdays downtown at the Eisenhower Memorial, and then once a week, or I'm sorry, once a month on a Saturday at the Udvarhazi Center. I remember enormous planes, jets, and rockets on display from the 1903 Wright Flyer to the Spirit of St. Louis the Apollo 11 Command Module Columbia, and giant rockets housed in the bigger buildings of your complex near Dulles. What are your favorite artifacts, Holly, and how did Smithsonian squeeze them into the buildings? <laughs> oh, well, we have thousands of artifacts. Um, probably for the new gallery, my personal favorite right now is actually a lawn chair. 
that's hanging from the ceiling with about six milk jugs hanging from the, the arms. And I can't remember what year it was, but um gentleman tied about 40 weather balloons to the back of the chair, and he ascended about 16,000 feet. And when he wanted to go higher, he would dump water out from the jug, and then when he wanted to come down, he had a BB gun, and he would shoot at a balloon. Um, but he actually crossed over into uh, air, airport airspace. So when he landed, they did have to charge him. Um, it took him a while to figure out what he did, but um, I think one of the charges was operating a balloon without a license. <laughs> oh, no. Um, <laughs> and for the Uber Ahazi Center, there's so many different stories. Um, I tend to go for the, either the quirkier stories or the things that are just you can walk by and you might not notice. Um, no, the quirkier the better. First, yeah. Well, this one isn't really quirky. This one kind of tugs at your heartstrings a little bit. But um, when you first walk in the door, there's a display case with six tiny little model airplanes. And those were made in the 50s by Mr. Udvarhavi when he was a child in Hungary. And he didn't have kits, so he made them with things like matchsticks and nail polish and gum wrappers. And when he moved and then left Hungary, he gave them all to his aunts. And then when he got engaged as an adult, they gave them to his now wife. So we have these on display, and it just shows how someone's lifelong passion turns into this building that we, he made possible mm-hmm. with all kinds of inspiration for other people. Well, we're talking tonight with Howie Williamson of the National Air and Space Museum. Howie, aren't there also, like you said, lots of smaller artifacts, but more like lunar rocks, meteorites, space suits, and so much more? Can you talk about those? Um, Yeah, we have things um, that are as small as a lapel pin. Um, we have awards. We have uh, actually some of the smallest aircraft ever made. So, um, and then we go to something like the size of a space shuttle. So everything that we have has a story. A lot of times it's the most significant or the first of its kind or the last of its kind or the only one. Um, we have a lot of spacesuits. We just put some new – or they're not new. We just put them in a new display downtown. Um, some of them have gone through some uh, conservation, but everything we do, we really have a really great team that takes care of everything. Oh. And how does the National Air and Space Museum trace the evolution of flight? Well, as far as human flight goes, we actually start with ballooning. Um, we have some balloon gondolas. We have a really nice um, art exhibit of 18th century ballooning um, that was one woman's collection. We have that on display at the Udvarhazi Center. And then we have a lot of the firsts, like the Wright Flyer and uh, the Bell X-1. And we have an SR-71 Blackbird, which just keeps moving. And I think the most, one of the most recent planes that we got is actually an F-18 um, Hornet, which... Mm-hmm. Uh, served in the Gulf War and then became a Blue Angel. 
You're listening to Travel Witch Radio, now in our 12th season with Dan Schlossberg and Mary Ellen Nugent Lee. Check us out on iTunes or blogtalkradio.com or visit the Travel Witch Radio Facebook page. Holly, what upgrades have been made to the planetarium? And I know the IMAX theater is still under construction. And how often do the programs change? My understanding of the planetarium is that it was pretty much a complete renovation. They put in uh, a new dome screen, new seats, uh, new projection system. And I'm not exactly sure what they're doing with the IMAX theater, but I imagine it's along the same lines. Um, The theater opened with the museum on, on July 1st, 1976. So it does need some upgrades. Um, as far as films, they don't change them out too frequently, but I did hear that we're maybe getting another planetarium show to add to the mix. So right now it's um, Black Holes and Exploring Other Worlds, which is a really nice tie-in with our Planets Gallery. I imagine you get a ton of school trips, right, from both locals and out-of-towners. When's the best time for visitors to take maximum mileage from minimum time? Um, Well, school trip season and cherry blossom season are kind of starting up right now. Um, If you want to come on the slower times, October is a really great time to come and visit D.C. Um, It's a lot quieter, but also the weather is usually really nice. Um, Mm -hmm. So the busier days are going to be April um, for cherry blossoms and then when we get into the summer season. Um, And if you want really slow February is always a nice time, but it's not quite as uh, welcoming as far as weather goes. (laughs) We're talking tonight with Holly Williamson of the National Air and Space Museum. Now, Holly, since D.C. traffic is never fun, isn't the National Air and Space Museum easily reached by Metro Rail? And doesn't the D.C. Circulator run a national mall route that helps visitors get from one museum to the the other? Um, about, gosh, a few months, few months ago, we now have Metro Rail going from D.C. all the way out to Dulles Airport. Oh, and if we yeah, had that just started, it's great. Um, and if you are taking the metro and want to come to the Verhazi Center, you would get off at the station that's right before the airport, and then there's a bus that takes about 15 minutes. Um, if you're coming right from the airport, the bus actually goes up to the terminal, and that's a little bit longer ride. Um, but you can pretty much get from door to door. It's still going to be about an hour and 15 minutes, but you don't have to fight the traffic. And then Mm -hmm. as far as the D.C. building goes, we actually have a metro station that's about a block away. I remember that well because that's how I got there when I was there. Holly, talk (laughs) about the displays people will find in the Dulles half of the National Air and Space Museum. Again, how are you able to get those giant rockets into the buildings? I know you didn't build around them. Um, They actually get constructed, but we do bring some things right in. in 2012, we changed our space shuttle. We used to have Enterprise, and that's now at the Intrepid Museum in New York City. And when we got Discovery, this was, um, gosh, almost 11 years ago, it flew on the back of a 747, landed at Dulles Airport, and then they took it off the top of the, um, of the airplane 
took a crane and towed it over to the Udvarhazi Center. That's one really good thing about having a museum at an airport. And then we just towed it right in the building. It was very uh, kind of like operation. We had to take um, a little part of a wall off, but then we have giant hangar doors that just open um, on three ends of the building, so you can just bring things in. That's so cool. Is there room for further expansion of the National Air and Space Museum, both in Dulles and also in downtown D.C.? What are your plans in that regard? Well, the museum in D.C., we can't really add um, more for exhibit space, but we used to have a McDonald's that was right attached to the building. That's been demolished, and that is going to become uh, the Bezos, Lear- Bezos Learning Center. Uh, we got a $200 million grant from Mr. Bezos to create this center. Um, that's a separate construction project, so I don't have the timeline for that. I think they're getting close to announcing which firm will be handling the design work on that. Um, as far as the museum at um, Dallas at the Udvarhazi Center, we've actually done a couple of expansions. Um, the first one was adding a restoration hangar so we can do our conservation work. And there's actually, on the second floor of the museum, it's glass walls so you can watch and see what they're doing. And then we added a library and archives, and then we added some more um, storage space. What's the target date for the completion of the entire makeover? Uh, They're shooting for 2025. And we have about three or four phases that we'll release over the next uh, couple of years. So it's not going to be where you have to wait until 2025 to see things. Um, We'll start opening some more spaces as they're completed uh, next year. We're talking tonight with Holly Williamson of the National Air and Space Museum. Holly, since most visitors plan on seeing multiple museums when they're in town, what are some of your recommendations? I think the one that always gets overlooked is the little postal museum at Union Station. Oh, I agree. That's one of my favorites. I think we talked about this uh, last month. Yes. Um, we did. Yeah, the, post, the Postal Museum is the one, it's not on the mall, it's, as you said, at Union Station. And it's really kind of a history of communications. And in addition to going from how people uh, shared their news via newspaper, and then at one point you had to pay to receive your mail, um, then it switched to paying to send to the mail, then there's a mail car where you can walk in and there's videos showing how People sorted the mail while it was moving. And then it goes even into the 21st century. Um, it also has a postal crimes exhibit. And then a huge stamp collection, which I, I know someone who spent two and a half days at that museum. Um, a little more <laughs> than I had spent, but um, I really like that. And the portrait gallery is also one of my favorites as well. And I like the American History Museum very much. That's probably second to the National Air and Space Museum, in my opinion. But there's so much to see. I mean, it would take a week to see all the museums, or or even more than a week. And Holly, our listeners always like to learn. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I saw a poster once that said, you can visit the Smithsonian every day for 15 years, seven months, and 23 days, and still not see everything. Oh, for sure. And if you read, you know, every plaque... (laughs) 
You read every exhibit. That would take months. Our listeners always like to learn more about our guest, Holly, so please share where you were born, raised, and schooled, and how you came to work for the National Air and Space Museum. Well, I was born in Wisconsin, and I lived there and went to the University of Wisconsin. Um, my major was slightly obscure. It was Scandinavian studies. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I spent a semester in Denmark studying at what's called a folk high school and then I actually was also a political science minor, so I got a job in the Wisconsin legislature for several years, and friends said I should move to D.C. So I did that, and I worked for a congressman for about a year, and then he retired. And I got into the Smithsonian because I was coming home from work one day, and my neighbor was locked out of her apartment. And I said, you know, you can use my phone if you need it. And she worked for the American Indian Museum, and we were just chatting, and she said, oh, you have to work for my friend Michael. And I said, okay. And I saw her about two weeks later, and she said, he wants your resume. And so I sent it off to him and then ended up getting a job working for a different division of the Smithsonian. It's the one that oversees the IMAX theaters and the restaurants and the stores. And then an opening came at Air and Space, and People told me about it, so I applied, and I've been here for uh, just over 11 years now, or almost 11 years. Wow. Great mm-hmm. longevity. Yes. Oh, I'm a newbie. There are people who've been here for 40, 50 years. Wow. Fantastic. Yes. Mary Ellen? I was wondering, Holly, you mentioned mm-hmm. that uh, that you, that the – McDonald's restaurant was demolished, but um, are there other places to eat when people come to the National Air and Space Museums? We do have a very small cafe in the new lower level. It's called the Mars Cafe. Um, It's more like a coffee shop with some wraps and some salads and sandwiches. But when the new learning center opens um, with that to be determined date. There will be a larger restaurant that can accommodate more visitors and specifically groups. Um, I don't, that's, we're too far down the road to know what the name of that would be and what the actual fare is. Um, but nearby, there's the American Indian restaurants, there's the National Gallery across the street, and then down the mall, there's natural history, American history, and African American history and culture. So you won't be hungry. <laughs> so and I think no there's some food vendors food? around too. Are there food <laughs> trucks no too, right? Food in the yeah. Mars Museum. <laughs> what was that? Oh yeah, astronaut, astronaut, astronaut ice cream, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is oh. there any? This, this I'm pretty sure they still food? have that in the. I think they still have that in the store. Yeah. <laughs> Is but there you can't any? eat it in the store. <laughs> Is there anything we haven't asked you that you'd like to add? Oh, gosh. Um, Not that I can think of. Um, But if you guys have more questions for me, I think we still have a little bit of time. Hmm. We Um, do. Mary Ellen? Well, I was also thinking about um, when international travelers come, are they um, able to understand what they're looking at? Uh, are there um, different 
headsets or things that they can listen in? Is there a walking tour or something like that? Uh, we used to have audio tours, but um, when we all everything closed because of the uh, the virus, that did not return. Um, but we do have a few docents. All of our docents are volunteers, and some of them do speak other languages. Um, but we also have placards where there's information, and if you just use Google Translate, you can hold your phone over it, and it will translate for you as well. But um, we do have I mean, a lot of the things you can look at, and you can go, okay, I have an idea of what that is. And I'm just always amazed at how many visitors know way more than I do about the things in our collection. <laughs> and are there other artifacts and, and pieces that are from other countries or just from the U.S.? Oh, no, it's a very international. Um, we actually have the world's largest collection of World War II German and Japanese aircraft. Wow. And um, we have the balloon gondola for the Breitling Orbiter 3, which is a Swiss um, balloon that went around the world in 20 days. Um, we have a Chinese Meg, uh, the last remaining stop with Camel that was built. Um, oh. if you're not familiar with that. That's the plane that Snoopy always thought he was um, flying. Oh, yeah. It's a World War yep. I era. <laughs> yes. um, we have some Lufthansa. We have an Air France Concorde. And then with all of the space um, artifacts, it's, it's very international. Hmm. So, well, Holly, when you, mentioned, is- when you mentioned the plane that had the milk jugs on it. We used to get mm-hmm. milk delivered to my house when I was a boy growing up in New Jersey. And I was wondering how mm-hmm. it got delivered. Now I know. The guy dropped the milk <laughs> jugs from the plane. Yeah. Well, his, his milk jugs were, it was actually a lawn chair, and um, his were plastic. So we didn't have to worry about them breaking. <laughs> mm. um, there is no Oh, go ahead, Holly. Mm-hmm. Oh, we we also have a lot of things you can do online. Um, we have lectures held throughout the year, and we've got some really interesting ones coming up. And if you can't make it down to do watch in person, you can actually uh, either watch live online or it's archived. Um, one of the next ones is on Jackie Cochran, who mm-hmm. was a pilot um, in the Air Force, and she actually broke, she was the first woman to break the sound barrier, and she set eight records for speed in a year. And just really fascinating people. There was, um, there's a company called Orbis, and they do humanitarian um, medical work. They actually have a training airplane where people, while they're on board, are learning how to uh, be ophthalmologists. And then they go into underserved countries. And that lecture was online, and I was listening to it. And it is pretty incredible. Is there a charge for website? Airandspace.si.edu. And, yeah, all of that's free. Okay. Our guest tonight has been Holly Williamson of the National Air and Space Museum, part of the Smithsonian Institution. Thank you for being our guest on Travelage Radio. Oh, well, thanks again for letting me come and chat with you.
This was great. Thank you so much. And listeners, with spring training underway, but the worst of winter still ahead, there's no better time than now to curl up in front of the fire with a good baseball book. Like my latest, Baseball's Memorable Misses, an unabashed look at baseball's craziest zeros. The funniest and most unusual baseball book of the year. It's an illustrated and entertaining paperback, $14.99 at your bookstore, and even less from Amazon.com. Sandy Koufax is on the cover. Such a deal. Get it tonight. And that's it for this edition of Travel It's Radio. Next week, we'll hear all about gorgeous Lake Tahoe from Phil Weidinger. Now, this is Dan Schlossberg, along with Mary Ellen Newton Lee, saying thank you for your time this time. Until next time, good night and stay safe.